Well, whether it's the coin toss of Two-Face in the Batman universe or the run for the train by Gwyneth Paltrow in Sliding Doors, we like to explore, I reckon, that question of what are the forces at work in the world as people make decisions that seem to place them in or out of harm's way, struck last week by a bunch of different stories of people not being at work on that fateful day of September 11, 2001, because they stayed up late watching the football. The God of the Bible has made himself known as the Sovereign Lord, the one who's in control of all things, the one who is providentially moving all history to his determined end to place all things under the feet of the Lord Jesus. And in the history of God's dealing with his people, we've seen him time and time again powerfully and miraculously break into his world to bring about their rescue and protection. The Red Sea is parted and held back for just the right time. Plagues are sent, global floods are engineered, the sacrifice is provided and, of course, Jesus is raised from the dead. And yet, as God's people read the book of Esther and remember and celebrate God's deliverance in the festival of Purim, it's not his miraculous intervention, but his behind-the-scenes providence that they're remembering. It's different to the Exodus and the festival of Passover, the festival of Purim celebrated in Esther is represented by the dice, the casting of lots, which is to celebrate not blind chance or weighted karma, but the sovereign providence of God in and through everyday lives and ordinary people whom he uses for his purposes. And the hiddenness of God in the book of Esther, not one mention in 167 verses, the hiddenness of God in this book has been taken by many to highlight the human responsibility placed upon his people to stand up and to step out in faith, knowing that God is not hidden and distant, but is working providentially for his purposes. And so they can stand up and they can step out, they can walk in faith in God's sovereign care, trusting in God's sovereign purposes. That was the challenge that we left off with last week at the end of chapter 4 of Esther. Queen Esther, the hidden Jewish girl who had won the king's influence and favour, was called upon to out herself, to speak on behalf of God's people, to plead for mercy in the face of their plotted annihilation at the hands of their enemies in the Persian Empire. How will she use the king's influence and favour and speak for God's people? That's the question of chapter 5 with petition and favour. And what's the answer? What did Esther do? Chapter 5, verse 5. The king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared for them. As they were drinking wine, the king asked Esther, Now what is your petition? It will be given you. And what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom it will be granted. Esther replied, my petition and my request is this, 
If the king regards me with favour, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfil my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's question. Esther is manoeuvring and setting up Haman for a fall, even as Haman is plotting to execute Mordecai. Haman leaves Esther and the king happy because he's building a comically tall gallows or a pole to execute Mordecai the Jew. But God's providential deliverance is at work. Even as we find in chapter 6, the king struggling to sleep. (laughs) And so we see then providence and honour play out as the key questions of chapter 6. The king is struggling to sleep and to, to soothe himself. He wants to hear of his greatness. And so he has his chronicles read to him. It's there that he hears of Mordecai. And how Mordecai had thwarted the attempt made on the king's life. And so as Haman then comes the next day to speak about Mordecai's murder, the king asks what should be done for the one the king delights to honour. Pick it up with me at chapter 6, verse 6. Now Haman thought to himself, who is there that the king would rather honour than me? So he answered the king, For the man the king delights to honour, have them bring a royal robe that the king has worn, and a horse the king has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on its head. Then let the robes and the horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honour, and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, This is what is done for the man the king delights to (gasps) honour. Go at once, the king commanded Haman. Get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything you have recommended. So Haman got the robe and the horse. He robed Mordecai, led him on horseback through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what he's done. For the man the king delights to honour. The enemy of God's people is forced to honour and not execute Mordecai the Jew. The one he planned to kill that day, he leads on horseback through the city to be honoured by all. This is the providential reversal That sets up the deliverance, not just for Mordecai and his family, but all of God's people from their enemies. And it's the deliverance from enemies that's the theme of chapter 7. With Queen Esther still in favour with the king, and any request she makes having been promised to be met, Esther stands up once again. She outs herself as a Jew, one of God's people of promise, Spare my people, she pleads. For I, chapter 7, verse 4, and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed and annihilated. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because such distress would, no, such distress would justify disturbing the king. Chapter, five, chapter 7, verse 5, King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who is he? Where is he, the man who has dared to do such a thing? 
Esther said, an adversary, an enemy, this vile Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king got up in a rage, left his wine, and went out into the palace garden. But Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? As soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, a pole reaching to the height of 50 cubits stands by Haman's house. He'd set it up for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. The king said, impale him on it. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai. Then the king's fury subsided. Mordecai and the Jews are delivered from Haman's plot. Haman, in another reversal, is impaled by the pole that he himself had made to attack God's people. And yet there is still enmity, there is still danger, there is still threat. Because remember the decrees of the king to kill, destroy and annihilate all the Jews had already gone out into all 127 provinces. If deliverance comes, we keep on saying, it needs to be total. And so that reversal and that rescue continues into chapter 8 beyond Mordecai and Esther to all of God's people. Chapter 8, verse 1. Have a read there with me. That same day, King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the estate of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, Mordecai came into the presence of the king, for Esther had told how she was related, he was related to her. The king took off his signet ring, which he had reclaimed from Haman, and presented it to Mordecai, and Esther appointed him over Haman's estate. Down at verse 11. The king's edict then granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and the right to protect themselves, to destroy kill and annihilate the armed men of any nationality or province who might attack them and their women and children and to plunder their properties, the property of their enemies. That same threat that was posed against God's people to be killed, destroyed and annihilated is then granted to God's people in order to defend themselves against the hatred, enmity, and attacks of their enemies. In verse 15, when Mordecai left the king's presence, he was wearing royal garments of blue and white, a large crown of gold and purple robe of fine linen. Then the city of Susa held a joyous celebration. For the Jews, it was a time of happiness and joy gladness and honour. In every province and in every city to which the edict of the king came, there was joy and gladness among the Jews, God's people of promise. There was feasting and celebrating 
and many people of other nationalities became Jews, were brought into the fellowship of God's people. They wanted to belong to God's people and not be cut off from God's people. The Jews are given permission to kill, annihilate, destroy their enemies in a great reversal of their fortunes because of the ongoing hostility in the world towards God and his people. But the people of God have been rescued. There is great feasting and rejoicing and celebrating because of the deliverance that comes for God's people from his sovereign hands. That theme continues throughout chapters 9 and 10. And even as God's people are given permission to defend themselves and defeat their enemies, they're also given permission to take all of the plunder from these nations. And yet the the, the repeated theme as God's people fight and defend themselves and kill, annihilate and destroy their enemies is that there is restraint as they do not lay their hands on the plunder which is repeated time and time again through chapter 9. They do not lay their hands on the plunder because the deliverance itself is the blessing of God's people. The deliverance itself and them being able to assemble as God's people and celebrate God's deliverance, that is their reward. They don't need the plunder of the nations. They don't need the beauty and the power and the possessions of chapter 1. They need to gather as God's people and celebrate his deliverance, to speak of his power and his deeds, to remember that God is sovereignly working out his plans and purposes and he will deliver and give freedom and peace to his people. We celebrated this last week with, that we finished this, sorry, last week with Hebrews chapter 10 being reminded that as God's redeemed people in the Lord Jesus, as the writer to the Hebrews says, you can joyfully give up the things of this life even as you face suffering and persecution, knowing that God has in store for you a greater and better possession, that you can stand and walk by faith, that you can stand with courage and step out to to speak of God and identify with his people, even in the face of opposition and hostility. Not because of the rewards that will come in this life, because the Bible promises only enmity and hostility from this world, but because of the deliverance that God promises for his people that ultimately comes in the Lord Jesus in his death and resurrection and the hope of sharing in his glory. This letter, this book of Esther, is written 
so that God's people celebrating this festival of Purim might remember the deliverance of God's people by his providential ruling of the events through the ordinary lives of people belonging to him. And as they celebrate and remember, they're reminded to trust in God's sovereign deliverance. And rather than lay their hands on the plunder of the nations, what did they build into the remembrance of this festival of God's deliverance? Not the taking of plunder, but the giving of gifts. And so as they remember the time the Jews got relief from their enemies, chapter 9, verse 22, and the month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration, he wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. God's deliverance and relief for his people doesn't lead to them hoarding the plunder of the nations, claiming power and possessions and wealth for themselves, but remembering God's gracious provision and relief for them. And so joyfully letting go and giving for the relief of others. Jesus, when he prays for his disciples and he prays for you and me in John 17, he says that he prays that, he, that their joy might be full. That he says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus, as he goes to the cross and is raised to rule from the right hand of the throne of God in heaven, promises to his people that his people, treasuring his word, would be hated by the world. And yet... They would be filled with joy, the fullness of joy. Not because they're removed from the world, but because God delivers his people and protects them from the evil one. Even as we're encouraged to step out in faith, to out ourselves as belonging to God and his people of promise, trusting that God is working out his plans and purposes, we rejoice and celebrate in the deliverance and the relief that God gives to his people through the death and resurrection of his son, even when we know it will be met with hostility and enmity with the world. And so we can let go of the things of this world as we sing with great joy in our hearts of God's salvation and his deliverance. And we clothe ourselves with that garment, even as we walk by faith. Barry Webb finishes this chapter on Esther in this way. He says, the book of Esther is indeed a festive garment, a garment to, be, to put on when we're astonished once again at some unexpected way God has rescued us 
and when we're ready to celebrate. But it's also a garment to put on when the forces arrayed against us seem all-powerful. When to laugh may be the only way to stay sane. To put this garment on, however, is not to whistle in the dark or to pretend that things are other than they are. It is to clothe ourselves with the truth that God is sovereign and to be reminded that he is always with us, even when he seems most absent. And nothing can thwart his purposes. To put on Esther is to affirm that God is our deliverer. So even in the midst of the hostility of this world, we can share in the joy and the laughter of heaven. Amen.